If you got a Bible, you could go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Yeah, we get excited about the Word of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul the Apostle, he said, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us not get exhausted while doing the right thing, for at the proper time, at the Kairos moment, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Ashley and I, my wife and I, we entered a race just three years ago to run our first half marathon. I don't know what we were thinking. We had never done this before. But Ashley said, we got to do this. We got to do this. And um, I said, okay, you're not doing it by yourself. I'm going to do it with you. And so we start training and the day comes for the race. And it's a race right here in the neighborhoods, right across the river here in Tulsa in Jinx. And um, so we're running, you know, it's a 13.1 mile race. So we're running and they have mile markers every, you know, every mile. Well, then certain miles, they didn't have a marker and you had to just hope and pray that you were going, you know, just following the rest of the runners because we definitely weren't in the front, um, but we're following the rest of the runners and we're waiting for the next marker. And then all of a sudden after two miles, there'd be another marker and they say, you know, you're at, you're at mile seven, you got 6.1 more to go. You're at mile eight. Well, I knew we had crossed mile seven and I knew we had crossed it a while back and we were running this race and I didn't know where we were at. We hadn't seen a marker yet and I didn't realize how close we were to the finish line, um, but I was convinced it was still a long ways off. Uh, you know, when you're running that long, you just never know how far are we when you haven't seen a marker and you're not keeping track on your wrist. You don't have a watch telling you how many miles you've been going. So, and I'm trying to figure out how far are we? I'm getting tired. I'm getting weary. I'm getting exhausted. And all of a sudden as we're running, I see this garage sale going on right over here in this neighborhood. <laughs> and I kind of slow down and I'm like, ah, and they, I can smell Krispy Kreme. They got Krispy Kreme donuts over there. What a distraction for all the runners, right? They got lemonade, Krispy Kreme. So I, I start to slow down and Ashley goes, don't you stop, don't you stop. She starts running circles around me. I'm like, come on, babe, she's running circles. She's like, I'm not letting you quit, honey. I'm not letting you quit. How many are thankful for the people in your life that won't let you quit? Come on, I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for some people in my life running around me saying, don't give up, Paul, don't quit. I know it looks tiring. I know you're exhausted, but don't give up. You're, you're closer to the finish line than you realize. So for Ashley, she's running around me. She's saying, don't give up, don't quit, Paul. And I'm going, I'm, I'm not gonna quit. It's just, there's a garage sale over there. Let me just see what they got. And she goes, don't, Paul, we'll go to the garage sale after the race. I go, I know, but there's stuff on sale. What if it's gone by the time, you know, they got Krispy Kreme. She goes, Paul, you're going to finish this race. And I'm like, I know. If you're waiting for the message to start, it's starting. Because some of you right now, you're there. You're there. And you feel like throwing in the towel. Some of you, you're doing fine. But you've forgotten that there's some people you're related to. Some people you're connected to that are struggling. And God's saying, I want you to circle your husband and tell him not to give up. I want you to circle your wife and tell her to not give up. I want you to circle your dad and tell him to not quit. Some of you are facing things that seem impossible. You're trying to fight addictions that you think you'll never get out of. You're trying to fight certain conditions you're in. Some of you have been told you could never go to college or you'll never get a scholarship or your family will never get out of debt. You'll always be the borrower. You'll never be the lender. You'll always be addicted. You'll always be depressed. 
But I want to preach a message to you today. Don't stop short of the victory. Don't stop short of the promises of God, because the Bible says that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus and his promises are yes and amen. So Ashley kept circling. She said, come on, Paul, you're going to chase me because that's what men do. We chase women. She goes, you're going to chase me. So she starts running and I'm chasing her. And little did I know we were just one and a half miles away from the finish line. And as I got closer, I started getting that energy and I finished the race strong and I got a medal. Come on. Somebody. They gave everyone a medal. Come on, Jesus. Everybody say, don't stop short. So Paul is saying in Galatians 6, 9, he says, listen, I know you're tired. I know you're discouraged. Like the Christian life, it's not exempt from exhaustion. It's not exempt from weariness. But he says, don't give in to the exhaustion. Don't give in to the weariness. Don't give in to the burnout. I've met people today that are in their early 20s, even a guy who was like 19 years old. And he's like, man, I'm so burned out. I'm exhausted. Ministry's so hard. He's got like gray hairs at 19 years old. I'm like, what is going on? I'd understand if you were 80, but you're 19 years old. But we're living in a, a society right now where people are exhausted and they're tired and they're discouraged and they're weary and they're losing their energy. And, and Paul, the apostle, he's got a word for you. He says, don't get tired. I know you have a promise. Your best days are still in front of you. You haven't seen it yet, but don't give up. The harvest is coming at the right time. Everybody say the right time. I wish I knew when the right time was. I wish that we, we had due dates. Ashley and I, we're, we're waiting on our fourth baby and we've got a due date and we circled that due date. September 4th, that baby is coming, right? But oftentimes we're waiting on a promise from God and we treat it like we've ordered something from Amazon and we're going, God, I ordered this three weeks ago. I sowed my seed in the offering five years ago, right? I've been praying for this thing to turn around and... Amazon's late, you know, like the dude, it's, it's past the due date. Am I the only one that's ever been frustrated that I haven't seen a breakthrough yet? Have you ever been in that place of just impatience? Like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to take off? When is the acceleration going to happen? When a, I'm thankful they're experiencing a blessing, but Lord, right? And Paul says, don't grow weary. If there was anyone in the new Testament besides Jesus that could say, don't get tired. It's Paul. Paul was someone who preached his heart out. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He planted more churches than any of the disciples. He raised up more future pastors than Peter, James, or John. Paul was a legend in his time, but he also was tired. And he said, I know what it's like to be tired. I know what it's like to be exhausted. I know what it's like to plant a church and then the church folds. I know what it's like to raise someone up, pour your heart into them, and that person leaves you and betrays you. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have a thorn in your flesh and to cry out to God, when is this gonna change? Will it ever go away? And for God to say, my grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. I know what it's like to go through tiring situations where you've been circling the same mountain day after day, year after year, but don't grow weary for at the right time, the harvest will come. It will come. So in the Old Testament, God spoke to Moses and he said, I'm giving you a land that I've promised you. I led your, your people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and now I'm about to take them to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And in Numbers 13, verse one, he said, Moses, I want you to send 12 spies to go and get a vision of where I'm about to take you. Everybody said, get a vision. 
He said, I want you to go and see what the land is gonna be like. So Moses does what God asked him to do. He sends out 12 spies and he tells them in verse 17, he said, I want you to go through the valley and I want you to see what this land looks like. Check the soil, look at the trees. He said, bring some fruit back so we can see where we're headed. So the guys go and do it. They go and explore the land. They're checking things out. Everything was going fine until they started to see walls and fortified cities and giants. But they found these grapes and these grapes were so huge. Now I can hold a cluster of grapes in my hand at my house, but these grapes were so big, it took two men to carry these grapes. Everybody say, those are huge grapes. Yeah, those are huge, right? So these guys are carrying these grapes, but they're so discouraged and critical and cynical because now they've seen giants and they've seen walls and they don't think they can take the land that God's promised them. I remember when I went to Peru on a missions trip 17 years ago. It was my first time to go to Peru, and I was 16 years old. I was so pumped for this missions trip, had saved up money, and had raised support, had been working mowing yards, and we get there, and nothing was going according to plan. Everything was completely off the schedule. I mean, people, we had to change hotels. We had to change ministry sites. Nothing was going according to plan. It got comical. We would ask my sister who was leading the trip, we'd say, what's the plan today? And she would say, plan to be surprised because <laughs> we didn't know what was going to go on. And it was kind of frustrating. We were getting tired. We were getting exhausted. We were trying to drink water, but we were feeling dehydrated and our team was starting to grumble and complain, right? Because when you get tired, you start telling everyone about how tired you are. And you start complaining. I thought the trip was going to be different. I thought we were going to be ministering to thousands of people. And you start talking yourself out of enjoying the season that you're in and making the most of the people that are right in front of you and realizing that the battle, that, that yes, the battle belongs to the Lord, but he still expects you to show up and fight the battle. And our team was getting tired. We were grumbling, complaining. And then we're walking out of the hotel and this guy comes up to me as we're walking out of our hotel that doesn't have air conditioning. That was another thing that wasn't according to plan. It's a hundred degrees there. We're hot, sweaty, no AC. And this guy comes up to me. He goes, what do you want? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what do you want? Name it. I think he wanted to sell me cocaine or something. I was like, <laughs> and he goes, name it. What do you want? And I was like, I either want a baby alligator or a monkey. <laughs> I tell him, I was like, you got a baby alligator or a monkey? And he goes, give me five minutes. I kid you not. <laughs> he comes back five minutes later with the backpack. I'm like, what is this? I'm getting so pumped. He goes, look in there. So I look in there. There's a real live baby monkey in this guy's backpack. I said, cuanto cuesta? How much? How much dinero? He goes, 20. I go, 20 bucks? That's a deal for a monkey. I don't know how much monkeys cost, but $20? I'm buying that monkey. So I give him 20 bucks. He puts the monkey in my backpack. My sister's kind of looking suspicious. She doesn't see anything. I had my friend Jonathan blocking the deal so that no one could see. I said, just stand right there. So I'm taking the monkey, giving the 20 bucks. So then I go to my sister. I got my backpack on. I go, hey, Sarah, I got to go back to the hotel and uh, got to do something. I'll be right back. I'll meet up with the team in 10 minutes. She was like, okay, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. It's none of your business. It's all good. So I run back. Jonathan comes with me and uh, we close all of our windows. We stick the monkey in the hotel room close the door. And right as we close the door, my sister, Sarah is standing in the hallway of the hotel. I said, what are you doing here? She goes, the team just told me that you bought a monkey. I said, Sarah, this has been a really tough trip. I really need this. I'm tired. Just please just, just, she goes, Paul, 
show me the monkey. I go, don't, don't worry about it. I'm just really, this trip's not going the way I planned it. Please let me keep them. She goes, Paul, open the door. So I unlock the door. That monkey jumps on my sister and starts, I mean, this was a real live Abu monkey starts crying. She starts screaming, ah, you know, screaming. She goes, get that monkey out of here and give it back to the man you bought it from. I tell you that story because our team was getting tired. Our team was getting distracted. I was buying monkeys. We weren't having the best trip. Things were not going according to plan. Has things never gone according to a plan in your life? Like, have you ever just felt like tired, exhausted? You wanna buy a monkey? Am I the only guy out there? They're like, can we just not have church and buy monkeys and alligators and just have fun today? All right, but there's times where you feel tired, you feel exhausted, you feel distracted, you see the garage sale, you're running and you're like, I just want the Krispy Kreme donuts. Am I the only guy that doesn't like working out at the gym every day? <laughs> you know, but Paul says, don't grow weary for at the right time, the harvest will come. God was telling the Israelites, I've got a promised land for you. And if you can overcome the discouragement of the past, and if you can overcome yourself, your poor self image, and if you can overcome your complaining attitude, I'm telling you, Jericho is yours. You have a future in front of you. The promise in front of you is greater than the past behind you, but you've got to move towards the land that I'm calling you. Don't stop short. So they come back from, from, from Canaan. They come back from the place. They tell Moses, Moses, we saw the land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's just like God told you it was going to be. The only problem is there's large walls around Jericho and there's giants and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Yes, the grapes are huge, but there's no way we can take this land. And watch what happens in verse 30. Caleb silences the critics. I love people like Caleb, the faith-filled spirit that says, come on, naysayers, come on, negative people. I got a positive report for you. So Caleb interrupts their Google reviews, their Yelp reviews of this restaurant. And he says, listen, guys, it's better than what they're talking about. We should go up at once and take possession of this land. We are well able. Let's not stop in the wilderness. We were born for the promised land. See, the wilderness was never meant to be a permanent spot for the Israelites. But that generation, they kept grumbling, they kept complaining. Right after verse 30, right after Caleb gives a faith-filled report, it says, but the men who had gone with Caleb and Joshua said, we can't do it. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than us. The walls are too big. The giants are gonna take us out. We're gonna die. We, we might as well go back to Egypt and die in slavery. They were more in love with their past than they were with their future. They were comfortable in captivity. They were more comfortable in captivity than they were in fighting the battle for the victory that was in front of them. There's a reason why we are not called victim church. We are not called misery church. We are called victory church because this is a place where we believe God can give you victory. It's not just the name of a church. It's a life you can experience through Jesus Christ. You can have victory over depression, victory over defeat, victory over whatever it is the enemy's thrown at you. God did not create us to live under our circumstances. God did not create us to live stopping short of the promises that he's given us. See, the promises of God are yes and amen, but you've got to rise up and move into the promised land. We can't stop short. Everybody say, we can't stop short. What causes us to stop short? I think number one, it's a critical spirit, a critical spirit. You see, our team, we were starting to become critical, cynical on our mission trip. We were starting to talk about how things weren't the way that we thought they were going to be. The hotel's not the way we thought it was going to be. The, the trip wasn't the package we thought it was going to be. 
Since when does anything go according to plan 100%? Most times you have a perception of how things are gonna be and then it turns out to be totally different. And if you don't know how to overcome that, you become cynical and critical. Some people in the room, you might say, well, God's blessed me with a critical eye. I just see what's wrong with people. What's wrong with places? What's wrong with churches so I can help them improve? Paul, I see everything that's wrong with you. I see everything that's wrong with the stage. This confetti's gotta go. Don't worry, we're gonna get a vacuum after service. But the perfectionist eye always sees what's wrong with everybody and everything and every place and unintentionally it creeps into your heart and you become critical even about yourself. So instead of seeing you as fearfully and wonderfully made as a beautiful girl, you see your pimples, you see your love handles, you see that and you're going, ah, and you're missing the fact that God sees you so beautiful and the man who loves you sees you so beautiful, but you're talking yourself out of the life that God's called you to live because you have a critical spirit. I would say that most of our problems would change if we just changed that critical spirit. We're asking God to move mountains out here and God's saying, I'm trying to move a mountain in your heart right now, a mountain of bitterness and discouragement and negativity and a poor self image. You've gotta get rid of that critical sin. We're taught in our culture today to have an opinion about everything. So everywhere you go, they're like, would you leave a Google review? Would you leave a review on Yelp? And some of us will never give anyone five stars out of five stars. Like we're like, well, I'll give them a 3.9, a 4.1. They weren't that great. It was pretty good, but it wasn't amazing. It wasn't perfection. And God's saying, you've got to get rid of that critical spirit in order to enjoy the life that I've called you to live. The Israelites, they died in their grumbling. They died in their complaining. They died in their critical spirit. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two that outlived the generation of critical people. They were the ones that in the book of Joshua, God said, okay, the generation before you died in the wilderness, it was never my plan for that, but because they didn't have the faith to get beyond the complaining spirit, they missed out on the promise. Now it's time for you to rise up and lead this new generation into the promises that I have for them. Number two, what holds us back is a defeated attitude. I want the keys to come up because I'm, uh, we're gonna go somewhere at the end of this message. A defeated attitude can determine whether or not you ever finish the things God's called you to do. Attitude determines altitude. My sister told our team on that mission trip, she said, I've got a word for you guys. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. I said, what scripture is that? She said, Billy Joe, chapter three, verse seven. I said, yeah, it's not in the Bible. She said, you know, dad always said that. My dad used to always say, blessed are the flexible. Everybody say, blessed are the flexible. How many of you know some high maintenance people in your life? How many of you are the high maintenance person? <laughs> I just got a big amen from a man. <laughs> you might have to apologize to your wife later on. I think sometimes we get such a sour attitude when things aren't going our way. When, when the path is a little bit harder than we thought it was gonna be. When going to church and bringing your kids to church and praying and tithing and forgiving people when all of a sudden it just starts to get exhausting and you're going, how many times do I have to forgive this person? How many times do I have to put up with these difficult people? Paul, would you just pray that I don't have to deal with any more difficult people? And I'll say, what if you are the difficult person? <laughs> what if God's trying to change the difficult attitude in you? See, God never promised us a life of easiness 
never having to deal with difficult people. God promised that he would always be with us, that he would give us victory, that we could have mental and emotional stability. God didn't create us to be depressed, oppressed, messed up on the inside. God wants you to have a healthy heart, a healthy soul. God wants you to be a mighty man of God, a mighty woman of God, but you gotta change your attitude if you wanna change your altitude. It starts on the inside. This is why God gave Adam and Eve two trees. He said, you get to choose. Because the love of God gives free will. He said, you get to choose. God's not gonna force a good attitude. Just because you ask Jesus in your heart doesn't mean you always have a good attitude, right? Because every day you get to choose. Am I going to see this through the eyes of faith? Am I going to have a positive attitude even in the midst of negative circumstances? Or am I, am I gonna allow the outside to determine the inside? This is an inside job. Joshua and Caleb, they knew. The Bible says that Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit than everybody else. This is a church of a different spirit than some of the other church. Oh, come on, somebody. This is a victorious church. When you go to your work, they should recognize there's something different about you. You must go to Victory Church. That's the place that's always talking about your best days being in front of you, that you got the victory over all of the negative things in you. You must have something different on the inside. Yeah, that's Jesus. That's resurrection power. That's the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness. Come on. The fruits of the Spirit are not cynicism, bad attitude, depression anger, on edge. Well, God just created me to live stressed and pessimistic. He's created me this way. No, he didn't. You got to rise above that. An attitude determines altitude. If you can change your attitude, I'm telling you, you can change where God wants to take you. Number three is a blocked vision. What causes us to stop short of the promises and the blessings God has for us? It's a blocked vision. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha, the prophet, was with his servant, and the two of them, they were camped out in a valley. And um, they had been helping Israel escape from all the enemies. They had been helping Israel walk in victory over all the enemies. And the enemies found out where Elisha was. They said, we got to kill this prophet because he keeps, he keeps on helping Israel advance. And so all the enemies teamed up together and they surrounded Elisha. It's a powerful story. And so the servant wakes up from the tent the next morning, goes outside and he looks around him and he sees on every side the enemies have surrounded Elisha and the servant. And so he wakes up Elisha, he says, Elisha, come out here. And he said, look, we're surrounded on every side. We're gonna die. This is how it ends for us. It's all over. I need some help this morning. Can I get six guys to come up here and just surround me for a moment? I wanna, I wanna show you what this looks like. And I need uh, the other few guys that can stand behind me. Give these guys a big hand. They, they don't really know what they're volunteering themselves for. They're just coming up here. I want you to stand, I want you to face me. I want you to form a wall and just face me. So your back's to the audience. I want you to face me because here's, here's oftentimes where we live when it comes to our circumstances. Form, form a circle around me, kind of a half circle, yeah. This is where Elisha and his servant were. They were blocked in their vision. They couldn't see beyond the enemies. All they saw was what was against them. But Elisha saw something that the servant didn't see. Elisha felt something that the servant didn't feel. Elisha had a different spirit than his, the servant was looking at what was right. Some of you are just staring at what's right in front of you. You're staring at the debt. 
You're staring at what the doctors have said. You're staring at what your wife told you. You're staring at singleness and you're saying, am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to find the right girl? Am I ever going to find the right man? Some of you are staring at an addiction. Am I ever going to be free from this sexual addiction? Am I ever going to be free from this gambling addiction? Am I ever going to get out of this mess? Some of you are staring at depression and all you see is what's right in front of you. But Hebrews 11:1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Because what you're looking at right now, yes, it's right in front of you. Faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith is seen beyond the facts. Elisha said in 2 Kings 6, verse 17, Oh Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of my servants. I want you guys to come up behind me. Because here's what Elisha was praying for. Yeah, yeah, I want you to lift me up. He was saying, I want you to elevate your vision that there are more for us than those who are against us. Yeah, come in close, enemies. The enemies might be right in front of you. They might have circled you. You might think, man, it's all over, Paul. I'm never going to get out of this legal situation. My son's never getting out of jail. My daughter's never going to get out of that. My son's never coming back to Christ. No, no, no. Stop talking yourself out of the promises that God's given you. Stop talking yourself out of victory. Elisha said, oh God, let's, let's go low for a second because this, this, is, this is where we're at oftentimes. We're right here. We're discouraged. And then we come to church on Sunday. Ah, there you are, Jesus. I was missing you on Monday. I'm so glad you're in church today. I could really use some help with the problems I'm facing. And then we go back to work. I got to face the difficult people. But God never created us to live on a roller coaster of spiritual health. God has called us to pray and to worship even on Monday, even on Tuesday, even on Wednesday, to stir up your faith, to say, I'm going to elevate my vision every single day. I'm waking up and I'm saying I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. My God is not intimidated by my impossible situations. It's time to elevate your focus. Give these guys a big hand. The way that you unblock What's blocking your vision is you start stirring up your faith. You got to get your faith back. I don't know a whole lot of guys that are preaching the faith that I'm, I'm needing in my life today. That's why I'm going to preach it. I'm going to preach it to me. If I got to be, if I'm the only one listening to my sermon today, then it's for me. We got to get our faith back. Faith, faith, faith. We have not because we ask not and we ask not because we believe not. We've doubted what God can do. We've, we've now limited God's power and ability, and we're looking at our source. We're looking at our employer. We're looking at what the facts say. We're looking at what the counselor said. We're looking at what the doctor said. We've got to, I'm saying, yeah, face the facts, but elevate your vision to say there are more for us than those that are against us. Oh, Lord, open his eyes. So when Joshua and Caleb had survived the generation that died in the wilderness, they overcame the bad attitude, the critical spirit. They got past all of that, the blocked vision. In Joshua chapter six, verse one, it says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. So now they had secured the walls. No one could go in and no one could go out. And watch what God says in Joshua six, verse two. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Everybody say, see it. 
You've got to see it in here before you see it out there. If you can see it, you can be it. If you could see it on the inside, you can do it on the outside. The battle is between the ears. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you think small, you live small. You think in poverty, you live in poverty. You think in lack, you operate in lack. But if you could start thinking in abundance, I'm telling you, you can open up the doors. See, oftentimes what I've realized I don't pursue opportunities that I've convinced myself I have no business pursuing. We're talking ourselves out of giants that God's already given us the victory over. We're talking ourselves out of Canaan, out of the promised land that God says, I know you see walls and I know that you see barred gates, but see, see what God, see what I see. Do you see what I see? I want you to see what God sees. I want you to hear what God see. God sees from a different vantage point. God doesn't see through what's natural. When I was little, my dad used to take me and my brother, my two sisters out to undeveloped land. I remember going to North Tulsa 20 plus years ago. It was the, the late nineties. We had been uh, ministering in an apartment crusades here in Tulsa. And we'd been ministering. My dad said, I'm believing God for land because I want to do something in North Tulsa. I want to minister in a certain part of North Tulsa. And so we went out to this undeveloped land and he asked me, John, Sarah, and Ruthie, he said, what do you see? I said, I see brown grass. I see trash. I see ants. I see beetles. I see broken trees. My dad goes, oh, you don't see it. He said, but you will see it someday, son. You will see it. He said, let me tell you what I see. I see a church for the unchurched. I see a hospital for the hurting. I see free medical care over here, basketball courts over there, baseball fields, computer labs over there. I see church services happen where people are getting healed and saved and standing up out of wheelchairs. I see blind eyes opening. I see deaf ears opening. I see us changing the poverty rates and the crime rates in this neighborhood over here. I see us giving people dreams and second chances and third chances and restoring marriages and families. Yes, I see us helping boys boys and girls in first grade and second grade and third grade. I see us feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. I see us ministering to this part of Tulsa. And I said, I don't see it. He said, that's because your eyes are open. What? Your eyes are open. You got to close your eyes if you really want to see because it's in here. And it's just a matter of time before it's out there today. Everything my dad said on that field is happening. People are being fed. People are being helped. Generations are being raised up. And guess what? We're celebrating 19 years now at the Tulsa Dream Center, almost 20 years. I remember when this was a soccer field. I used to practice soccer on this, this, this building you're sitting in right now. I remember dad walking out here. He said, oh, I see a dream. I have a vision. What do you see, Dad? Man, I see a church filled with people. I see a big auditorium and altar calls packed. Men are getting right with God. Women are getting right with God. Teenagers, college students, parents, grandparents. I see people coming back to Christ, prodigal sons and daughters. See, you've got to see what God sees because today it's a reality. It's a debt-free reality, but it started with a vision. Did you know my dad had that vision in 1981? And it didn't happen in 82 and it didn't happen in 83 and in 84, it didn't happen. We were meeting in a car lot and then a tent. And then in 1985, we started renting the Oral Roberts University, maybe center. We didn't have it for free every week as a church. We had to pay money to rent it, to set up and tear down for 23 years. But remember what Paul, the apostle said, don't grow weary with the vision for at the right time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in that dream for your son to come back to. Don't grow, don't stop circling Jericho. 
And sure enough, in 2007, we moved into this church auditorium. What an amazing day that was 12 years ago. I just wonder what God has next right now behind us, in front of us. Everybody say, see what God sees. If you're not going to stop short, you've got to one, see what God sees. Number two, you've got to say what God says. Say what God says. Faith has to be declared. It can't just be envisioned. It's got to be spoken. You've got to vocalize your faith. So God told Joshua, Joshua, I want you to march around the walls of Jericho and I want you to shout on the seventh day after the seventh time because your voice is going to activate your miracle. There's something connected to your praise and worship that opens up what heaven wants to bring into your life. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. There's something about activating your voice. This is why the Bible says, let the weak say I am strong. It doesn't even make sense. The world would go, that's, that's dumb. But did you know there are people that are non-Christians that have figured out the power of positive confession? I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, there are people that are not even Christians that have figured out the power of positive confession. We have Christians in Christian camps that are making fun of the idea of speaking faith. And yet you have non-Christians that are actually realizing the advantage of speaking the positive word. You can't live a victorious life with a defeated mouth. And this is scriptural. This is like God, the first thing he did was let there be light and there was light. He spoke it. You need to prophesy over your future. Let my son come back to God and he's coming back. Lord, I thank you. God brought Ezekiel out to a valley of dry bones. He said, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel says, God, you're the only one who knows. God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy over what's dead in your life. I want you to prophesy over what's dried up in your life. I want you to prophesy over the nation of Israel that this nation is not doomed, that this nation is not over, that God still has a plan for America. God still has a plan for Israel. God still has a plan for your family. You've got to prophesy where God's taking you. See what God sees. Say what God says. Number three, do what God asks. This is where people miss it. They'll see it, they'll say it, but they won't do it. This is where the rubber meets the road. Nothing changes until you start moving. The promises of God are motion activated. The doors that look closed in your life, they're motion activated. The closer you move towards the doors, there's a sensor. They start to open. It's like when you put your hands under a sink and there's no, there's no uh, way to turn on the sink faucet. It only starts, the water only starts to flow when your hand moves into the right place. Some of you are waiting for God to move and God's saying, I'm waiting for you to move. If you only knew what's right in front of you, if you started activating what I've already written in my words. Some of you are going, well, what do I need to do? Well, God already wrote it. Pray, worship, give, forgive. Sow the seeds of love and compassion. Serve. Keep on keeping on. If you just read through the scriptures and started obeying God's word, put God first. Honor your father and mother. Treat people right. The golden rule. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. As you start activating God's word, I'm telling you, there is blessings in front of you that you don't even realize. God's saying, oh, if you only knew. Number four, final point here. Keep walking till the breakthrough happens. Keep walking till the walls fall down. So God tells Joshua, Joshua, I want you to wake up and I want you to march around the walls of Jericho. And it's gonna look foolish in the eyes of man. And people are going to be like, what are you doing? (laughs) But I want you to keep doing it. Everybody say, keep walking. 
when Ashley and I got pregnant with our first baby, we were supposed to have our baby on a due date and the baby didn't come. And we said, what do we need to do? And the doctor said, start walking. We said, what? Why should we start walking? He said, because as you're walking, it's gonna accelerate what's inside you. Some of you have stopped short. You are impregnated with a vision. God says, keep on walking. But how many times I gotta walk? I wish I could tell you. For Joshua, it was seven days. Can you imagine on the third day he comes home? He comes home and his wife goes, how was today? It was good, what'd you do? The same thing I did yesterday. What was that? I'm walking around that wall. Joshua, when are you gonna give up on that dream? Just let her go. She's never coming back. Just let go of that dream. You're never gonna go to college. You're never gonna see a turnaround. You'll never get out of debt. You're always gonna be the borrower. I gotta wake up tomorrow. I'm marching around those walls again. Right after the fifth day, he comes around the walls, comes back home that night. His kids ask him, Dad, what'd you do? I'm marching around the walls again. Dad, come on, just give up. Just let go of the dream. Your daddy was like this. Your granddaddy was like this. You came from Egypt, Joshua. All of your parents were slaves. All of you were slaves. Just be a slave, Dad. Some of you, you've been circling an addiction for six or seven years. And your wife keeps asking you, when are the walls going to fall? Don't stop short of the victory God's given you. Don't stop short of the freedom that God's promised you. If you got to keep circling the walls for another 300 days, don't stop at six. Keep on walking till the walls start rocking. Come on, I'm preaching this morning. All right, so, so day seven. Joshua's marching around the walls. How you guys doing up here? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Joshua's getting a vision of where God's taking him. You know, I come into this church during the week when no one's here and I march and I walk and I see this place full and I see the altar full and I see people getting healed and set free and I see what's happening in Africa, happening in Tulsa. I see revival breaking out. I see people getting healed from wheelchairs. I see people getting healed of lymphoma cancer. I see God doing amazing things. Because a few years ago, there was no one up here. God's not done. Can I tell you something, Victory? Come on. Whatever it is that you're marching around, the enemy's trying to talk you out of it, saying, just stop. This is as good as it gets. Just stop. But I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep on marching till I see the breakthrough happen. I'm going to keep on walking till the walls come down. Come on, somebody. So on that seventh day, after six times, the men asked Joshua, hey, Joshua, we've now been marching for seven days. And now we've marched six times. And Joshua says, we got to do it one more time. See, so many people, they stop short of the promises of God because of disappointment. They say, Paul, I, 
I did everything I knew to do. I tithed three times and I still haven't seen a breakthrough in my finances. So I'm going to start marching around the walls of the casino and see if I get lucky. Just going to keep on putting the, the coins in the machines and just pray that the walls come down. You're marching around the wrong walls. Casino's not going to fix your financial situation. But if you start marching around the walls of God's house and you start declaring in Jesus' name, I'm going to see my college paid for. I'm going to see my kids' school paid for. I'm going to see my dreams come to pass. I'm going to write that book I've been talking about writing. I'm going to see my son come back to church. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. Whatever dream is in your heart, don't let go of the dream. Keep on walking till the walls come down. So on the seventh day, after the seventh time, now get this. It's easy to start a fight. I came back from Peru to preach to you. Some of you do. We had someone drive from North Dakota to be at church this morning. So I know some of you drove one mile. You could go home, but I got to give it all I got for these people that drove from North Dakota. I know I'm going a little bit longer. I promise we'll dismiss you and next week will be shorter. <laughs> I used to be impressed with people who could start a fight. People who could start a ministry and blow it up overnight. I'm not. I'm more impressed with people who can finish a fight. People who can finish in ministry after 60 years and raise up the next generation to keep going. I, I'm impressed with my dad. Man, I mean, look at the legacy. The dream is still going. That's who I want to be like. I'm, I'm impressed with like, man. See, some of you in this room, maybe you've gotten knocked down. Maybe you failed. Maybe you had a moral failure. But there's a part of your falling that's connected to your calling. There's a part of what you walk through that no one else has walked through. God says, I'm gonna use your mess as a message. Your test will be a testimony. That failure, you thought that that was the end of, of, of your season in ministry. You thought that was the end of your future hope. God's about to use what you've walked through. Nothing you've walked through will be wasted. So God tells Joshua, on this last one, I want you to finish strong. After the seventh time, I want you to get everyone together. Get the worshipers out up front. Get the praise. I want the praise and worship team to come out. And he said, I want you to make a loud war cry as if the walls have already fallen down. I want you to shout like it's already happened. So on the count of three this morning, I want you to shout. I want you to stand up on your feet all over this place. And can we shout the name of Jesus over every problem, over every sickness, over every situation, over every divorce, over every legal thing, over every son, every daughter, every single, every married couple. One, two, three. Some of you, this was for you. But some of you, you're like my wife. You need to start circling somebody, saying, don't give up. Don't quit, honey. You're going to finish this race. This is a message you're going to hand to somebody and say, I'm praying for you. You're going to get through this. This is not how it ends for you. You're going to get married again. You will have children. I know the doctor said you can't. You're going to get that adoption. Your son's getting out of jail. 
Things are gonna turn around in the company. You will launch that dream. You will finish that book you promised me you were gonna write. I'm not letting you quit on that book. You better finish that book. You better finish that thing. You better do. I'm not letting you stop short of the miracle. If you gotta chase me, you gotta chase me. We're going around this wall. Everybody say, don't stop short. Don't stop short. I almost stopped short in this sermon today, but don't stop short. After the shout, the walls came down. Oh God, I pray right now for walls that are gonna fall. Walls are gonna fall. Walls are gonna fall. Walls are gonna fall. Walls are gonna fall. So Lord, I speak right now in our nation, in our city, in nations around the world, in marriages and families, in people who are battling suicidal thoughts, depression, and people who are here today standing for a loved one, standing for their son, standing for their husband, their wife, their dad, their mom. I pray for every person's situation here today. I pray for those who are on the mountaintop. Everything's going good. I pray that they would circle those that are in the valley and say, I'm pulling you out of here. Don't you stop, son. Don't you stop short of who God's called you to be. You know who God, God's made you fearfully and wonderfully made. He's got a purpose for your life. So I want to pray this morning. If you wouldn't mind, just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here right now and there's some things that you're believing for, there's some dreams you've been waiting on. There's some breakthroughs that you've been hoping are going to happen. And some of you, you've been battling critical spirit. You've been battling disappointment, setback, discouragement. Things haven't gone according to plan. And I just hear God saying, but see what I see and say what I say and hear what I hear and do what I ask and keep on walking till the walls come down. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand across this room. God's speaking to you. Yeah, yeah, there's things you've been waiting on. How many are believing for a breakthrough in an area right now? Maybe for you or for a friend or for a loved one, a family member. Would you just leave your seat as an act of faith? Just come down to this altar. I want you to make this altar the walls of Jericho. I want you to make this the place where you say, I am not intimidated by this impossible situation. I am not intimidated by what I see in the natural. I am elevated.